Major news from the world of golf. The PGA and European tours have agreed to merge with Saudi-backed rival Live Golf. The agreement ends all pending litigation between the parties and it forms a new collectively owned and as yet unnamed entity. Crack down the line. Back to the corner goes Judge. It is caught by Aaron Judge. It is so much more than just the home runs. He is Superman. Murray, jump shot is good. Big bucket from Murray. Murray back up. Jokic fakes, spins the pirouette, and the bucket is good. 32 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists. Out it comes to Eklat. Drives it across. Good shot. For Florida, Forsling finds Bennett. Bennett, cross ice. Shot. You're listening to another edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Here's your host, Peter J. Mulroy. And a good morning, 1030 on the East Coast, a special edition of Sports Today with Peter J. Instead of Fridays at 7, we're here uh, morning side um, on this beautiful Friday on the East Coast. And you'd have to be a, a psychopath to a certain extent if you're if you're following the Stanley Cup playoffs throughout. Once Boston was eliminated, and, and as great of a season as Boston had, historic what they did with the amount of wins, the amount of points, to go down in seven games to the Florida Panthers. Oh, that's a monster upset. Sure it is on paper, but people forgot that Florida was the President's Cup winner from a year ago. Here they are now knocking on the door of the franchise's first Stanley Cup victory. You'd have to be out of your mind if you thought that team was dead in the water after two games. I know 5-2-7-2 doesn't look good. But as we saw last night, bring it back home. Bring it back down south to Florida, where they're all pumped up with what the Miami Heat are trying to do as well. Dig out of their own hole in the great state of Florida. Here they are getting an overtime victory last night to get back in the series at 2-1. Same could be said on the on the side of the NBA. As good as Denver's been, and we'll get into that to start the show, as good as Denver's been at home, Miami gets a much-needed game to win impressive in that altitude, that 5,000-plus uh, raise in alt- altitude in Denver for Game 2 to even the series. Now they're in a 2-1 hole, and we start there on this program. Uh, but, but the point being is that these series, you can't take anything for granted. As good as Denver's looked on the NBA side throughout and as good as Vegas has played, specifically coming out of the West in that physical series against Dallas, you can't dismiss anyone. And the two Florida teams, the Heat and the Panthers, are certainly there to be taken seriously. You look at what's happened in this NBA series. It's a 2-1 Denver lead after they get the big Game 3 win in Miami. Now, Game 4, for those listening live, is tonight, June 9th. It's an 8.30 tip on the East Coast. ABC anchors the coverage of the games in Miami. Where it becomes a problem now, potentially for the Miami Heat, is if they don't win tonight. 34-7 34-7 and seven regular season record at home for Denver this season. And Miami takes them down in game two. How many more times do you think they're going to do that? Now, this Heat, is pro- this Heat team has proven us wrong time and time again. 
in the opening round with the Bucks, then with the Knicks. And now they're doing it again with Denver. But if Miami goes down tonight, it's, it's going to be a tall task to have to then play from game four, go back to Denver in an elimination game in game five. You get it, you come back to Miami potentially, maybe you can force a game seven. Denver can win anywhere, they're just dominant at home, and it is a rarity, we've only seen it now eight times, that they lose in the mile high. But let's backtrack a little bit. You go to game two, prior to losing game two at home again, and we can't dismiss that point of how tough-minded and just clearly deep-willed this Miami team is, until that game two loss, with Denver, the Nuggets were 11-0 in the playoffs when leading by double digits, which they did in game two. And they were 37-1 overall, went up by eight-plus heading into the final quarter. That makes Miami's win in game two all the more impressive. Bam and Butler, 21 points apiece. Gabe Vincent playing great basketball. He had 23 in that game. So you're thinking, okay, here we go. We're 1-1. Miami's going to do this again. They're just going to keep picking people off because that's what they do, right? And let's not forget just how surgical games one, two, and three against Boston they looked before they played with some fire, ultimately won a game seven on the road. So we know they can win on the road, but as as history has shown us specifically this year, it's a different animal winning in Denver, but they did it in game two. You're coming back home, you're feeling pretty good. Maybe Miami gets one here in game three. Nope. And why? Nikola Jokic. How much more can this guy do? A one-man wrecking ball, basically. Now, the one-two punch with him and Jamal Murray has been unbelievable. Basketball poetry in motion. It really is remarkable what this tandem has done. But all Jokic does the other night, game three in Miami, is go out and record the first 30-20-10 game in NBA Finals history. And these aren't, excuse me, you know, accidental baskets like some prognosticators uh, who call themselves sports broadcasters uh, in the media like to say. Miami's physical. They play good defense. Jokic is just on another level. He's earned everything he's gotten. Bam's been there. Butler's in his face. When they bring two on him, the problem with that is it it leaves guys like the Aaron Gordons and Murrays of the world open. You heard it in the open. You hear the names Jokic and Murray, Jokic, Murray, Murray and Jokic, Murray, Jokic. You throw in an Aaron Gordon. These guys have been so cohesive as a unit. It's really been a pleasure to watch. You don't, you haven't seen this all that often. You'll get your tandems, LeBron and AD. Butler and Bam is obviously a very good one. Kevin Durant now in Phoenix with everything he's done with Booker. Tatum and Brown in Boston, to to a lesser extent from this year, from a regular season perspective, you had a good run uh, with Jalen Brunson, excuse me. Um, But overall, there hasn't been a one-two punch like Jokic and Murray. And the Miami Heat really saw that in game three. Spearheaded by Jokic, yes. But the combo of the two was just too much to handle. So you've got the game four coming up tonight in South Beach. You know this Heat team is going to be ready. And you know what's interesting to me is, too, I I, I saw this on television the other night, 
And it makes me chuckle because you don't see this at the Garden. You don't see this if you go out to Boston. You don't see it when you go out to a Los Angeles Lakers game or a Clippers game. If you watched game three in Miami, coming out of halftime, the arena looked completely empty. And I understand it's South Beach and the people march to the beat of their own drum. I've been there. It's not for me. I understand why people like it, why it's fun. You're going to an NBA Finals game and you got to go up and get a beer or water or a hot dog at halftime. Get your ass back for the start of the third quarter. The building looked empty in the highlight of the season. I'm going to say penultimate because there's still plenty of games left in Miami now in two on hole. But the building looks empty for a game three that you're hosting in the NBA Finals because whatever they're serving out there in South Beach, God only knows and where they go. Uh, I've heard the arena, American Airlines is beautiful. But the point is, get back to the stands. You're there to watch a game. It's like these people that go to Yankee games and take breaks to go eat sushi. What are you doing? You want to do that, go elsewhere. Get a hot dog, get a beer, get a pretzel, sit down and watch the game. None of this wave crap that they do in the stands. It drives me nuts. You're there to watch a game not to post pictures on social media uh, and eat sushi and saffron risotto or whatever they're doing down in South Beach. Yankee Stadium, guilty of it. I was there a few weeks ago. I saw it with my own eyes. But anyway, it's a 2-1 lead for Denver, and you've got now what is probably going to be considered, as crazy as it might sound, as strong as this Miami team has been with the fortitude they have to win on the road, this has got to be a must win. You've got to go back to Denver 2-2. Because, again, even with the Game 2 win, that's only the eighth time Denver's been knocked off at home this year, regular and postseason combined. It's hard to do. And with the way Joker's playing right now, he leads the NBA postseason in the three major statistics as a five, as a big man. He's the points leader. He's the rebounds leader. He's the assists leader. That's unbelievable. That is unprecedented. You don't see basketball like this on an individual level in a team sport like you are now. Nick fan my entire life. It's the only team I root for on the hardwood. But I'll be honest with you. I don't remember a time watching a postseason like this in its entirety where I've enjoyed it more. And it's because of Nikola Jokic. And it's because of the way Jimmy Butler's played on the other side. Now, Butler's on the heat. They took down my Knicks in some aspects, just completely outplayed them. This has been a fun postseason. Would it be more fun for me if this were the Knicks in the finals? Hell yeah. But to watch something that we have never seen on this level with today's competition, and you could say that across the board in all sports, you accomplish something like what Aaron Judge did last year with the record-setting performance in AL home runs against today's pitching, that's unbelievable. Where bare minimum to get into the bigs, you got to throw 94, 95, or they won't even sniff you. Because if it's less than 95, it better have movement. So with all the talent, I mean, look at the field of golf. What's going on in golf? More on that in a minute, obviously, as you heard in the open as well, later in the program. But to watch Jokic in this fashion, it's been unbelievable. And we just haven't seen it before. So enjoy this. Unfortunately for Miami, who were able to come back from that 15-point deficit to win game two on the road, they're going to get a lot more Joker. 
And if they're not able to answer the call tonight at home, you go back to Denver game five in an elimination game for a fan base who's never had their basketball team in the finals. Wow. To an extent, I'm a, I'm a believer in home court. It fizzles out after these guys get so locked in mentally. It doesn't make a difference, but that building's going to be ready to explode. So Miami's got a problem tonight if it's not able to get the game four victory and go back to the mile high at 2-2. Is it over if they lose? Of course not. you got to win four. It's best out of seven for a reason. But to not even it up at home tonight, where you've played well in the series. Both teams have. And Miami, too. In a 2-1 hole, it's not like they've completely vanished. The guts and, and you-know-what downstairs to come back and win that game, too, showed a lot. It showed what we've seen all postseason from Miami. As really one of the more dangerous eight seeds we've seen in some times. This is, this is not a quintessential eight seed. Just like the Florida Panthers in the NHL aren't a quintessential wildcard team. And if you get hot at the right time across all sports, you could do some damage, as the Panthers and the Heat are, are proving. But it's going to be big time tonight, and I'll be watching 8.30 again uh, East, East time on ABC, Friday, June 9th. It's for those uh, listening live. Game four in South Beach. Denver's got the 2-1 lead, uh, and, and we'll see how it plays out. You know what the plan is there for Denver. It's the one-two punch, and you've got the role players there, uh, spearheaded by Gordon who can give you a lot. I mean, you go back with games one and two, Gordon was flying around. I mean, game one, he was unstoppable early. That's hard. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are. When you have that going, when you have a trio like that, all three, by the way, have speed of their own and size, that's a tall order. But Miami's able to counter that in other ways. When Bam's on, man, he's got finesse. He can move. He can break it down. He's got the mid-game range. He's a phenomenal rebounder, and I still don't think he gets enough credit defensively. Now, Jimmy Butler, it's what you, you could go to the box scores for good information, but if you don't see it and break it down, it's a completely different animal. Some of Jimmy Butler's games where he's 5 of 10, only 14 points, he does so much more than that, though. As evidence in Game 2 where he was big down the stretch, 21 points apiece for him and, and uh, Bam. And with Gabe Vincent, not having Tyler Hero, uh, who's out, Coach Spoltra said uh, just last night that he's not ready to roll just yet. That's going to hurt him. So it puts a little more pressure and the onus on shooting the outside ball from the likes of Duncan Robinson and co., Vincent included. Miami can get this done. They're clearly capable of winning a game four. It's just a matter of how they're able to counteract that one, two, even three-headed monster that Denver's going to put on that floor. Uh, led by uh, two-time MVP Nikola Jokic, who was on the doorstep of winning three in a row this year uh, before Joel Embiid from Philly got the nod, deservedly so. So we've got game four in the NBA coming up. And then when you take a look at what's going on in the NHL, man, this really has been such a fun series because it's one thing after the other. Games one and two. Vegas looked great. They looked like an absolute freight train that couldn't be stopped. 12 goals in the first two games, 5-2, 7-2. I mean, scoring at an alarming clip. And then this happens in game three in Florida. Here comes Bennett. Nice move with the line. In the middle for Andy. Scores! Turner for 
Panthers have won their first ever Stanley Cup final game. Said it a few minutes ago, you weren't sleeping on this team. To go down in the first two games by a combined 12-4 to clip, it doesn't look good. But that's why they play the best out of seven. Panthers go home, much like the Heat are now, and they pick up with the Carter-Verhage goal in overtime. And that on the heels of once again, it was Matthew Kachuk, his 11th goal of the postseason. He tied it late with about two minutes left in game three. Eventually goes to overtime, and you heard the call. You heard Kenny Albert's call at the top of the broadcast uh, and replayed here uh, from TSN, I believe it was, with the Verhage thriller in overtime. Despite the just offensive assault in games one and two, I think we expected, you know, this is going to be the type of series that comes down to the home play. And we saw how good Vegas has been on its home ice. They have the 2-1 lead in the series. Game four, Saturday, June 10th, for those listening live. It's an 8 p.m. East puck drop. TNT, TBS, True TV, anchoring that coverage. Game four, uh, still down in Florida. But you've seen how good the Golden Knights have been at home. What's great about this Florida team is they've had the acumen to win both at home and on the road. Close late wins, overtime regular against Boston. They did it again um, against Carolina, Toronto. At, At times, This has been a dominant Panthers team, but they're able to lean on a lot of their pure goal scorers, a la Akachuk, and Verhage gets a thriller last night. This team's found its third gear. All right, it's got that mojo again, and all it takes is one win. You can get your doors blown off like they did in game two. It's irrelevant because you've got to come back and regroup. And Florida did that great. Start quick, end with a bang, get out of there, another overtime victory. How many times have we said that this postseason about this Florida team? Matthew Kachuk's got 11 goals in the postseason. All of them, all of them were essential to the success and even many, the advancement of this Panther team. On the other side for Vegas, Jonathan Marchessault has been a problem everywhere. Everywhere for everyone throughout the postseason. 13 goals, meaningful goals. He continues to just rack them up. And you've got a young franchise here that's now two wins away from claiming its first Stanley Cup title. Florida was there in the 95-96 season, but they're also looking for the franchise's first Stanley Cup final. So the storylines here are great. And I think when you when you when you combine those stories, the intricacies, yes, going to the stat sheet, but watching these games in the NBA Finals and then the Stanley Cup Final, this is awesome stuff. I mean, you've got four teams that chomp at the bit every single night. Now, to this point, Denver with a two-one lead, Vegas with a two-one lead, best out of seven. They've looked like the better teams. But if you get the Heat, who showed up in Game 2 with the moxie to come back on the road down 15 and down 8 heading into the final frame, and you get a Panthers team on its heels going back home, down 2-1 to one with two and a half minutes left in the third period where everything starts to get antsy, crowd included, and you get a late goal to tie it at 2 and then win in overtime, 
anything's possible. Neither one of these series is over. From a prediction standpoint, give me the heat evening this th- these things up in game four of the NBA Finals. And I'll take the Panthers doing the same thing. Because I want to see this continue. Now, I firmly believe the, the Miami Heat are going to win game four. Makes the series all the more interesting, right? 2-2, two, two, now it's a best of three. Same deal with the cup final. And when you've got the Kachucks, the Verhages, the Marchstolf playing the way that they're playing and getting reliability between the pipes, much better game for Florida in that regard. Last night, you're set up as a sports fan, as a basketball fan, hockey fan, whatever you might be, to really take this and run with it and enjoy the hell out of it. Because that's what it's all about. And I really think that we've been treated to something very special throughout this postseason on both the hardwoods and the ice. From the NHL starting a first-round series between the New York Rangers and the New York Devils, that's stories galore. You get Nick's heat. Now, I know it wasn't as, you know, as physical, and you can't really rely you know, on the, on the highs and lows of yesteryear because those teams legitimately hated one another. But there were still some cool parallels there. How good the Boston Celtics were. How good the Bucks were throughout the regular season, then getting bounced by this Heat team that we're watching in the finals as the one seed in the opening round. And then on the ice, with this Florida team that we're now watching in the cup final, kicking out a record-setting and what'll go down in regular season history, a legendary Boston Bruin team in seven games in round one. Wow. Pretty special. When a wild card team who was the President's Cup winner from a year ago knocks out the current President's Cup winner on its home ice in round one, and now they're in the, the Cup final, that's pretty cool. You've got a wild card team in the Cup final. You've got an eight seed in the NBA finals, both from the state of Florida. This is good stuff. So give me Florida to even things out tomorrow night in game four. Uh, again, 8 p.m. puck drop on the East TNT, TBS, True TV, anchor the coverage that game in Florida. I like the Panthers there. I do. You'd like to see from a Panther perspective a little quicker, uh, uh, not falling into those holes. They had the quick start yesterday, last night, and then they come back with the late goal and obviously the overtime winner. Right, Toying with the fan base emotions, I think you'd like to see more consistency rather than falling into a hole there. And then for the Miami Heat. Not getting down into that double-digit deficit. Now, they're playing at home. They can lean on some of the advantage there. Ride the crowd early on in the game, assuming that those people are ready to get their asses back in a seat for the second half. I like the Heat to come out of that with a Game 4 win and even things up. I think it's a Butler-Bam game. I know not having Hero stings. And there's there's not much you could do. And, And many coaches have alluded to this with Jokic, the way he's playing. Like, there's no accidents here. He's just that good. He is the best player we've seen for a while. The man is just that good. Yeah, he's unstoppable. The only person capable of stopping Nikola Jokic right now is Nikola Jokic. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. 30, 20, and 10, never been done until game three. And he leads the NBA playoffs 
in the the big three statistical categories, points, rebounds, and assists. That's unbelievable. So give me the Heat to even things up in game four. Give me the Panthers to do the same um, on the ice. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, you know the drill by now. You can follow on socials on Podbean. Uh, all Subscribe there as well. Samsung, Spotify, iHeart. iHeart continues to kill it, uh, which is great. Um, and uh, tune in as well. So here we are. Uh, Special edition sports today with Peter J. A little bit before 11 a.m. on the East Coast on this Friday, June 9th. Uh, this has been a program that was geared around the NBA and the NHL, Stanley Cup, and NBA Finals. I want to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball now um, as far as what's going on there. And then obviously, as you heard in the open, we've got some discussing to do as far as the game of golf is concerned. So coming off the heels of our discussions with how well things have gone for specifically Vegas and Denver, uh, perhaps on their heels a little bit going into big game fours. Here you come back to now Major League Baseball and you see some teams that are in similar situations where they don't want to fall too far out of the race, still with 100-plus games left to go. Uh, an example of that might be the Boston Red Sox. Right now, one game under 500, and they've got three coming up in the Bronx with the Yankees. The Yankees, look, as a, as a, a lifelong Yankee fan with the highs and honestly not many lows, right? You can't do too much complaining as a Yankee fan, uh, which is great. It's probably the one team that consistently keeps me from going into cardiac arrest for all the wrong reasons. I can comfortably say that. Now, not having a World Series championship since 2009, that sucks. But again, when I say that to my Met fan friends, I get filthy looks, all right? Is this team trending in the right direction? Perhaps at 37 and 27, there's not too many teams in Major League Baseball that wouldn't sign up for that record 64 games in. The issue there is the division that the Yankees play in. And I talked about this in my uh, MLB preseason show when, when I, when in part of that, I did my over unders. And again, prognostications, I don't generally like them because I think they're insane to try to figure out how many teams are. Uh, uh, how many games a team is going to win, to me, is absurd, especially in football. We do it, yeah, people like it, so we do it. It's fun. You get the fantasy aspect. You get the betting aspect of it. I get it all. It's insanity because nobody knows. I look at the Toronto Blue Jays the last couple of years. They've completely underachieved. Another example of that, I know they just took two or three from the Yankees, would be the Chicago White Sox. With the bullpen they have, with the potential that offensive, that lineup has, to be eight games or whatever they are under 500 is a complete failure. Yet in such a bad central division, they're only three games out of first. The Yankees have the opposite of that problem. The Yankees are 10 games over 500, and they're still eight games behind Tampa Bay. Now they have control of that third wild card spot. I've said all along that this Yankee team is a playoff team. But if we're being honest, even at 37 and 27, on the heels of the of the of the very good Orioles in second place, who yes they can catch, I eventually think they will. Tampa's going to win this division. So the Yankees, to me at least, that's my opinion, are going to have to get in via wild card, which isn't the goal, but at least it gets you in the tournament. It gets you a seat at the table. Is there anything really about this Yankee team that excites you overwhelmingly? Be honest. If you're a Yankee fan sitting there right now, 
that you could call me uh, you know, a traitor, Benedict Arnold, whatever you want. What What is there about this Yankee team that has you on the edge of your seat that doesn't include Aaron Judge? Who's banged up now? More on that in a minute. There really isn't anything. There's good ball players. I guess to an extent they have a little more balance in their lineup than they did last year. But he, 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 we're repeating things, right? When you repeat things that don't work out, that's the definition of insanity. And here we are again. I got to watch Josh Donaldson last night again. And I know it's a beleaguered lineup. It, Willie Calhoun and Billy McKinney, I don't mean to hammer them. Billy McKinney solo shot last night in a game the Yankees had to have to avoid a sweep against the lowly White Sox after they had the table set. Yankees played a um, traditional doubleheader yesterday, which means the first game ends, you get a 15-minute break, you play the second one, which is what they should be doing all the time anyway. When you make a gazillion dollars, you don't need a three-hour break in between games. Yanks get to the bottom of the ninth. They got two on. Volpe sets the table. He takes off the second. He gets there. They got first and second, no out, top of the lineup. Torres, strikeout. Game-ending double play. Next batter up. Stanton doesn't even get to sniff it because the game's over. So the big guns again, and Torres has had his great moments. He's been clutching. He's having a nice season. I'm not going to hammer him. I'm a Glaber Torres guy. I know for whatever reason many Yankees fans aren't. I love the kid. I think he's fantastic. I really, really do. But you saw, again, no outs, first and second, not an attempt to even move first and second to second and third. It's it's not something that's in the cards for the Yankees. I, you know, I I was on my I was driving to the gym last night, and I heard John Sterling say it as much as Susan Waldman tried to sway him. He said Aaron Boone just isn't gonna bunt, and first and second with no outs, down one in the bottom of the ninth, with your big guys coming up, that screams bunt, and it never got sniffed. Not that I totally disagree with it. I don't know about giving up outs, but if there was a moment that you might have thought lay one down. Isaiah Conner-Falefa showed late on one of them. It had no impact. Plus, when you got to the top of the lineup, you're not going to get down there and bunt a Torres Rizzo or a Stanton, I suppose. Anyway, so they they lose that opportunity there late uh, in the first of the doubleheader, but then they get the game to win uh, 3-0. But getting back to my point, my, my frustration with this Yankee team is... Probably the frustration that most Yankee fans have is how much longer we're going to have to deal with the Josh Donaldsons of the world. Now, he's got a monster contract. I get it. There's not much you can do there. Everybody seems all of a sudden that the tables are turning on Anthony Volpe because his batting average dipped. He strikes out. He makes errors. Listen, the kid's got pop. He can run. It, to me, does all the right things. You're going to send him down? What the hell do you think that's going to do to the kid's development? He's already up here. And quite honestly, he wasn't going to hit 300. If you go back and look at him historically in his minor leagues, he was a slow starter. Now we're into June. We're into June 9th. If he goes into a swoon, if Volpe is just a freaking mirage at the plate, then you got to sit him. You're not sending him down. You sit him. I can have can play some short. 
You can move guys around. Cabrera can play short. That's a bat that might be getting going after some good swings yesterday. Because Oswaldo Cabrera is going to be a big part of what these Yankees are trying to do. And you're going to need his bat. And if he can get it going, the way you're able to use him around the diamond is huge. He's like another IKF, just younger. And Willie Calhoun's been swinging a nice bat. But does does Willie Calhoun get you excited as a Yankee fan? Billy McKinney? I know he hit eight, nine home runs in the the minors, whatever it was this year. Had one last night in the Bronx. Billy McKinney getting you excited as a replacement for Aaron Judge? After you drop two of three to the White Sox? Who can't get out of their own way? I, I don't I don't think so. Now Randy Vasquez last night, five and two thirds inning, no runs, two hits, three Ks. He's been a nice bright spot for a sometimes beleaguered rotation. Because in the first game of that doubleheader, Luis Severino wasn't great. You know, Garrett Cole's been your rock. Nesta Cortez getting you pumped up this year? No. If you're being honest about it, no. Luis Severino? No. Injury bug again. That's frustrating. That's annoying. Now, we'll see Cole. He gets the ball tonight for those listening live in the first of three against the rival Red Sox. 7-0, 2.82 ERA. And he's going to go up against Garrett Whitlock, who's 2-2, one ERA. Score some runs. And we know who's down. Aaron Judge. There's no timetable for his return right now from his right toe injury. And that sucks. But if certain things would have been addressed more aggressively in the offseason, maybe there might be some more realistic reinforcements. Not named Franchi Cordero. I have no problem with Willie Calhoun. Watched the second game late last night when I got home. Paul O'Neill saying all the right things. He's swinging a nice bat lately. And hell yeah, he absolutely is. This is a guy who hit 21 home runs a couple years ago with the Rangers. And at 37 and 27 overall, take that record, right? This is a pretty good baseball team. But seriously, just because they're a good team, what does that mean? What is it? What gets you excited about this Yankee team? I'd be curious to know what the honest opinion would be of this Yankee team from the diehards. Right, without, without a veil over your face. Because the Carlos Rodon thing is not good. Now, with, with the lack of a timetable of his return, I know he's on the mound throwing. He's seen different specialists. Back discomfort. That's a problem. There's tons of people that have back issues. And, 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 and they suck. I mean, they could come out of nowhere. I mean, I'm one of them. There's ways to manage it. And I, I'm not going to hammer this guy. For you got to go to three different specialists to get an opinion on why you're getting back discomfort. Just imagine how bad. That's why the Yankees have to be careful here. I know the contract. I know he was after Judge the big fish in the offseason. you got to be careful here. I'll tell you the one thing. The Montas situation pisses me off. Because the reports that came out, and we've discussed it here, and I took phone calls on this topic a couple of months ago, that he was banged up when he came over from Oakland. And how that doesn't get more traction, how more people aren't annoyed, how there's no accountability to really even consistently address that fact by the powers that be in the Yankee organization is disgraceful. Out until at least June. Well, it's June 9th. 
It's Friday, June 9th, and the Yankees are third in the AL East. And we have no more information on what's going to happen here. You're not going to see this guy. That's what's going to happen. I've actually changed my tune. You might see Rodon. You might. But the Montas thing is completely off the rails. Now, and the scary thing is out in right field and at the DH spot with Aaron Judge, right toe injury, and this no timetable for his return, that comes right from the horse's mouth. This is Aaron Judge saying it. And the reason that he's got that right toe injury, for those who might have missed it, you heard it in the open. Made a hell of a play crashing through the wall, which wasn't properly reinforced in Los Angeles at Chavez Ravine. And he's paying the price for it. This is what Judge said to reporters earlier in the week. There's no timetable, really. This is a quote, which I think is best because there's a couple of things going on there. I'm reading this quote via Bleacher Report. I think they don't want to say a timetable and then it's a couple of weeks longer or a couple of weeks less. Or we've seen that before with this organization. It's more based on a feeling how I'm feeling. Once it starts feeling better, you can progress and start doing baseball stuff. I think we're just kind of waiting on a lot of the inflammation and swelling to go down. You're not going to see him for a couple of weeks. All right? Translation for dummies. You're not going to see him for a while. And if you do, you better hold your breath. Because we've seen this before. And Aaron Judge is having another monster season. They go nowhere without this guy. And you, and you better pray that something doesn't happen to Garrett Cole injury-wise. You're going to need Holmes and the back end of that bullpen. Marinaccio pitching well again. Same with King, who's coming off an injury from a year ago. With all of these things, 10 games above 500 as the watermark right now is great. Third in that AL East. Again, I had all five teams in the AL East hitting their overs. This is overwhelmingly the best division in baseball. It's not even close. So the third place finish in the AL East at 10 games over 500 right now for the Yankees is only good enough for a wild card spot. Great, it gets you in the tournament. But what is really exciting you about this Yankee team? I don't think there's much. Are they a playoff team? Sure. Are they going to go much further than that? I don't, I, you're going to tell me right now the Yankees can go toe-to-toe with the Rangers. I noted the Grom thing. He doesn't factor in. He hasn't pitched in a month. And now his season's over with TJ. You think they can go toe-to-toe with the Rangers? The Astros? Right now, as the Rays are constituted, even the Orioles, who I'm on the record of saying they'll catch, but the Orioles are very good. I don't know. I don't know. Not after the way they looked, dropping two of three in sloppy fashion to a bad White Sox team. Uh, with that, Vin's on the line. Vinny, what's up, man? Hi, Pete. What's up, buddy? What's going on? Just want to make some points on the Yankees. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Go ahead. They're not winning nothing with this coach. He's the worst coach in baseball. He's Vin, terrible. What coach, what coach in sports do you like? Not Aaron Boone. I love <laughs> not Aaron Boone and not Buck Showalter. That's for sure. Hey, listen. Guy, speaking of Buck, I'm going to get into the Mets in a little bit. They want his he, head on a platter. He's he's a dud, Showalter. Showalter's a bridesmaid. He's a dud. He gets fired everywhere he goes. Getting back to the Yankees. Move yeah. a freaking runner over once in a while, please. I'm with you. When we I'm with you. Move a runner over. How many innings do you see killed? Guy leads off, a walk, a base hit, whatever. Get stranded there because guys want to hit home runs every at bat. It's it's disgusting already. I'm so sick of it. I can't. I just want to touch on one thing. Part of the game last night. Did you see the guy who grounded into the double play on the White Sox? What was his name? 
and he faked an injury? Uh, Eminem's got banged up last night, I so I don't know if that's what you're referring to. No, it was in the ninth inning, hit a ground ball. It was a tailor-made double play for the Yankees, and the second baseman threw it. Oh, you're talking about in the first game. No, the second game. The second game. No, I and, didn't uh, see it. He jogged up the first baseline, would have been out by 40 feet, and then he faked an injury on second base. It was it was pretty it was pretty ugly. And just a couple other things with the Yankees. I mean, how many years is Aaron Judge's contract? That was a nine-year deal. You're going to get 125 to 130 games a year. With I think many Yankee fans had braced for the inevitability that – there might be injuries that come, but you know you're going to get 130 games top because he was healthy, healthy all year. You're going to get 130 games tops from him every single year. It's just the guy, the guy can't stay healthy. He's too big, you know. He plays too hard. He's a great player, but you're never going to get a full season out of him. But like you said, they're going nowhere without him. You said another thing before: who jumps out at you on the Yankees? Garrett Cole is jumps right off the page. Without yeah. without him, you know, I what's mean, his he's, record? He's seven and zero, two eight two. That's that's the, amazing. The thing, it's 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 fantastic, but you've got the sample this year. I mean, I I try to lay off with with some of the spots where the team doesn't hit and it rubs off on pitching. But there have been instances in big spots and two of them against the Rays this year where he was not good, and those are big games. And that's what kind of scares me. What is you as good as he is? What is your confidence level with him on a mound in a huge game? I'm I got somewhere com- in the middle, Vin. I, I really got, am. I got, I got confidence in him. I just, I, I just want to see the Yankees move a runner over, manufacture some runs, oh, and not I'm, count on the long ball so much. And Giancarlo Stanton stinks. How much is it? Thirty. Yeah. I, listen, I, I'm, I, I think a, a lot of the fan base would agree with you there. Um, Thirty. And that's look, I, I, you know, I'm a Stanton guy. Because I think he brings a lot to the table, but again, it's it's similar to what you say with the judge thing and the injuries. Stanton stinks. While, He's got the worst swing in baseball. He stinks. If you pitch him the right way, you could get him out every single time. If you go high, you go low, pitch him away. He doesn't adjust to nothing. He's he's terrible. I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but he's terrible. Well, they got him. And again, what? and 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 these are these are some of the issues that that pop up with this Yankee team on a regular basis where there have been you, – you you pounce on the big names, the guys who are producing, and you give them the monster contracts. And yeah. I'm not including Judge. The Yankees had to do that. But the Rodon thing is not going to sit well with this franchise because you're not screwing around with – you know, I'd, I'd rather know what the actual back injury is because I, you keep getting different reports. Then you see the words yeah. back discomfort. That could be a multitude of things. That's Absolutely. scary. You know, you and as as much as you want to see this guy pitch, you're not forcing the issue. Still 29, 30 years old, whatever he is, messing around there. But the money, the years, the need in the rotation, and the fact that he was the big fish after 99, this is not sitting well with the fan base. And, and I don't think it's a good look for a front office who's been under the microscope the last five, six, seven years as it is. Yeah, just I want to touch on the Mets. Sure, I mean, go right ahead. You feed right into it. I was going there next. How is Vogel? How is Vogelback still playing? You know what? I I try not to get on bandwagons, but this is one that everybody can get on. He's I just, just I don't know what it is. I heard a, 
a, a report the other day that Epler wants him in the lineup to get something out of him so he can move him. I mean, Epler's the guy who would who acquired him. And Brilliant. by all accounts, Billy Epler's done a good job. But to, to, to not even experiment elsewhere in that lineup without Vogelback, to me, is beyond the head-scratcher. He's batting, he's batting fifth. The kid, the guy can't even sniff them. Where are they moving him to? A, a play-in contest? Where are they moving I, him to? I, 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 listen, I, I, the entire fan base, the entire city, I'm not a Met fan. I don't root against them, but I, I'm with them. I, I, this, this, this one is, is beyond head-scratching yeah. to me. I, don't I work it. with guys who are Met fans, so I have to watch the Met games. And I watched maybe the last 10 games. Well, you watched the Met games hoping they lose just so you could be a jerk. Yeah, well, I, I can't. I hate the Yankees. Honestly, I hate the Yankees too. I, I know I hate, that. <laughs> I hate what the Yankees have become. And honestly, I hate baseball. I got to be totally honest with you. Because baseball has just become such a terrible game. I, the game that I grew up with is just not there anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's home run or bust. Everybody Correct. is home run or bust. And it's just, it's so awful. 90 pitches, they're taking starters out. 2-1 games, you got 37 pitchers pitching. It's just I, yeah. I, I, I don't I can't get into the game. But like I've been saying, I've been watching the Met games. Buck Walter is just such a dud. As my friend Doug Schultz used to say, a dud. And uh I I, I can't watch him manage anymore. Every everything is in slow motion. The guy is just not a winner. He knows a lot about baseball, but he's not a winner. He's not. He hasn't won anywhere. What happened when he left the Yankees in 95? The Yankees won four World Series in a row. Yeah. You know, went to Texas. Where else to go to? Arizona? Won nowhere. Yeah. And I just want to I want to touch on one thing. Sure. I called it because I just I love your show. And you, you give you give me the room to speak my mind. A lot of my opinions are off the wall, people think. <laughs> and last night I called in the Dan Grosser show. They were talking about the Jets. Okay. And I listen to Dan Show. He does a nice job. He's a good guy, but his staff treated me like an asshole. That's his not good. Sta his staff was arguing with me about what I was saying. They're supposed to just let me speak my mind, you know? And then I, I got into it with one of the staff, and I said, so when is Brees Hall coming back? Well, he's having re – he'll be back week one. I go, there's no shot he'll be back week one. I, say, I said he's having – he had ACL surgery. And the guy's like, no, ACL surgery six months. I'm like, th then, then he hung up on me. He said, lose, told me to lose the number. So I just appreciate you for letting me talk. Of and course. that's it. This is the no, only thing. Great. Thank you, Pete. Hey, Have listen, before you go, let me ask you one quick question. Yeah. In, in, let's say the last week plus, because the rumors had been starting, has there been more of a disaster than what's just happened in the world of golf? It's, it's, I feel terrible for the guys who didn't take the money. The guys who didn't take the money got screwed. Yeah. I mean, Rory, Rory McIlroy took the PGA's back left and right. They probably gave Monaghan $50 million. They, they definitely gave him money. And these guys got screwed. How do you feel if you're him, Justin Thomas, or John Rahm? They were all off at $150 million or better. Yeah. Right? Look at Mickelson. He's fucking laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. He's laughing at these guys. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, he should, and he should shut his mouth. Because he said something about Rory that wasn't right. Yeah, that he should keep his fucking mouth shut. They're all going at each other, and it's 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 going to yeah. get ugly here before it gets better, which I think it will. No. It's just an what interesting the, uh, time. What, what are the stipulations? I don't know. What are the what, what what are the stipulations now? They could both play on either tour. 
So there's going to have to be, they're going to have to find some kind of line where, you know, Rory kind of said it too, not to beat a dead horse, but there's going to have to be some kind of penance done where you left and took the money. Great. Congratulations. Round of applause. We didn't agree with it. We were very outspoken. You can't just come back. And they're going to have to figure that out. Now they'll play as one group. It's it, There's still no name for that yet. And that takes the DP, the old European tour, into account as well. Um, so they're going to play as one group now? It's not going to be a live tour and a PGA? So you'll have the PGA. I, I, from my understanding was it's still Saudi-backed money, but a lot of the, the actions and uh, the approvals are going to come under PGA Tour leadership. Okay, so it's but- interesting. There's still a lot. I mean, the whole thing is basically a gray area. I think they, they have an agreement. They don't have a name, and what this does actually is beneficial for the DP because that league was that that league was. Well, it's beneficial out. for the Ryder Cup for the DP, and, and those live guys who were questionable now, uh, uh, you know, have an opportunity where they were playing in the majors anyway. Now you don't really make those arguments with the Ryder Cup. All right, let me go. I got to go back to work. All right. Are Thank you at your house? Any... Are you at your house? Yes, I am. The home you studio. Can pro- you can probably see me from where you are. <laughs> All right, dude. I appreciate it. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks. All right, that's our buddy Vinny. Great call in every week, and you can I mean, you can tell across the, the 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 branding that he's a an all sports fan, including golf, and that's where we're kind of going next with this golf merger that has recently taken place earlier in the week. Uh, rumors had been started weeks ago. Uh, players on the tours, both tours were kind of talking about it, that they heard some things, but nothing was said and set in stone. And then you literally wake up one morning and you find that it's like, it's like breaking up with your girlfriend via instant messenger. You just get hit over the head with it. And there it is. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way that this merger came down out of nowhere, seemingly keeping everyone in the dark bringing players back into the fold and then that sacrifices other people that's that's where the anger comes from right and i and i am i understand that and like i there there still has to be consequences to actions you know the people that left the pga tour irreparably harmed this tour started litigation against it we can't just welcome them back in like that's not going to happen and i think that was the one thing that jay was trying to get across yesterday is like guys we're not just going to bring these guys back in and pretend like nothing's happened because you can't you can feel however you want to feel and and by and large to explain it like i would to a child there were a lot of people and because it's confusing for myself and i and i'm a golfer uh, i'm a golf fan for i started playing the game when i was 11 so it, you're going 26, Jesus, 26 years now of, of being in the golf world to some extent as a fan. Um, this is this gets confusing. What you have here, and everybody knows that there was disdain and disdain and dissent and, and bordering on hatred between Greg Norman's uh, Live Golf and the PGA Tour when there was a breakoff. Guys left the PGA Tour to join Live Golf by and large because of the money. Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka. You know, Brooks Kepka was banged up. The move made sense for him there. Let me get what I can get because I don't know if I'm ever going to be the same to him. So you tip your cap to Brooks because he comes back and wins a major. The guy's unbelievable. You don't have to like him. as He's got the personality of a wet napkin, but the guy can play. So you've got some of the bigger names hopping over, you know, some middling guys that made the jump. Uh, you know, Paul Casey's a big name who, who made the leap as well. Um, and it pissed off 
a lot of the guys on the PGA Tour. Tiger Woods, they threw $800 million, I think, with the figure at him. Now, Tiger Woods is a different animal there because he's Tiger Woods. He's not just perhaps the greatest golfer ever. He's a human brand, right? Tiger, literally Tiger Golf. You got Nike Golf was born because of what Tiger Woods meant to the game of golf. Millions and millions and billions of dollars. Woods turned down Liv because he wanted to protect his legacy. The same there could be said for people like Rory McIlroy, the Justin Roses of the world. Now, Justin Rose and Rory McIlroy are paid up this week in the RBC Heritage. They, they came to an agreement from what I saw on social media, um, different outlets putting it out. They're not going to be talking about this until they have lunch so they can actually focus on playing golf, which makes sense. So here's what happens with this merge now that you heard in the top of the broadcast and Rory McIlroy's uh, comments about not just letting these live guys back on the PGA Tour without some kind of penance. This is basically them making peace. There were litigation filed against Live Golf because they didn't like what some of the guys on the PGA Tour were saying about how they left. Uh, they felt attacked. So they litigation. These tours are going to continue to exist, but it's going to be under one uh, leadership group business-wise. Now, that, that's going to be obviously largely funded by the Saudis, which is a problem for many people. More on that in a second. But operationally, internally, this new golf league, which is nameless, whatever it's going to be called, the two tours still exist with the DP, the old European tour, is going to be operated under the PGA Tour umbrella. There's a path, obviously, you would have to think, to the live players coming back to the PGA Tour. Uh, PGA boss Jay Monahan, who's under the gun through all of this, which makes sense. He should be. They're going to, his quote was that they're going to work cooperatively to establish fair and objective processes for any players who want to reapply. And to me, that's the key word. Desire to reapply for membership with the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour. That's the old Euro Tour. After the conclusion of this season. And you've got to follow tour policy. So reapply. I'll say this. It was apparently a very contentious players meeting on the PGA side earlier in the week. And why so many people have issues, myself included. Now, listen, I, I, I have no problem with these guys jumping ship for money. You do what you got to do. You know, as, as, a, as a lifelong Notre Dame fan, uh, Brian Kelly leaving for LSU, the way he did it was, was snarky. But $95, $90 million is $90 million, whatever he's getting over there. I just hope they go 0-11 every year. They're not. They're going to win. But take the money. Guy's got a family. Got to do what he's got to do. Whatever. I understand the angst many people have with the Saudis funding Live, live Golf. I get it. With the incidents there, with the journalist Jamal Khashoggi years ago being murdered, and then all the 9-11 stuff, the September 11, 2001 attacks, Saudi involvement there as well. I get it, why people are so upset. Right? My, you know, I had my father, God rest his soul, was in Building 7 while those attacks were going down. Many people continue to suffer from that day, physically, mentally, emotionally. I get it. 3,000 plus died that day. It, it's a day, you talk about days that live in infamy. I mean, you, you'll never forget that. You'll never forget where you were, what you were doing at that time. 
So I understand that aspect of not being able to support Live Golf because of where the money's coming from. My problem with that is PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, while this was starting, basically came out and said, well, you never had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour. As if to say, hey, this is dirty money. He also mentioned that he has family or friends or people that gave the ultimate sacrifice that day or were murdered that day, September 11th, 2001, and he sympathizes with them. For him to then turn around and keep players in the dark, and by the way, keeping players in the dark, that includes Tiger Woods, the figurehead of this entire thing, the game of golf. Tiger could barely swing a club, and people are still following him around the golf course when he comes back. For Monaghan to turn around and then do that under the table is a real crap move. That's where I take issue with it. Don't say one thing and do another. Because it's financially based and it's selfish. And you have other people on the line here. And you have the emotions of people that you had already spoken and now toyed with within that. Overwhelmingly read that the PGA Tour in their players meeting with Monaghan was about 90-10 in favor of him stepping down. Now, he's still got the support of Rory McIlroy. Look, I'm a Rory guy. But not everything Rory McIlroy has said is all that true here as well. Sticking with Monaghan, do you think he's a, he, he continues to have the support of the PGA Tour? I do. Well, Rory, he's, maybe he's got the support of you, but he doesn't have the support of tour players. And for Rory to say he feels like a sacrificial lamb, I get it. You know, Tiger wanted to protect his legacy. Now you see the merger. All these guys get that money that move to live, and it's like it never happened. That can't be. And that's a bad, that's a bad, bad look. Now you want to have it operated by mostly advisors of the PGA Tour and have that money coming from the Saudis. You do what you got to do. But to leave these guys in the dark, I, to me, if I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tour player. That's not sitting well with me because this is what Jay Monahan said about leaving the players basically in the dark. He didn't use those terms, but he was asked because he knows that's exactly what happened. Colin Morikawa wakes up and puts a tweet out. I love finding morning news online. This is a major champion. Morikawa is one of the most liked players on tour, and he's a draw for the younger kids, the next generation of this game who want to play the game. And you got him pissed off. Given the complexity, this is a quote from golf.com. Given the complexity of what we're dealing with, it's not uncommon that the circle of information is very tight, Monaghan said. That freaking circle that's tight doesn't include Tiger Woods. It doesn't include a player actively on the tour. That's nonsense. There's absolute. if I'm Woods, I'm pissed. The fact of the matter is that this was a shock to a lot of people, you think? Because we were not in a positive position to share or explain as we normally would. And that was a really and that was really a result of the commitment we had made to maintaining confidentiality through the end. That's bullshit. Confidentiality. You swore off these people months ago. 
And now they come calling with the bag of Saudi money. And here you are. I have absolutely no problem with anyone getting paid. You got a life to live. You go to a tournament, you have Pat Perez and live, live golf. I don't like the 54 holes. They do a shotgun. It, it, it's, it's not a beer drinking golf outing. The 54th hole is the PGA Tour 72nd hole. Where's the drama if you got a tight race? Oh, he's finishing up on 13. But who, who cares? So there's things I don't like about it, but I have no problem with the guys taking the money. But don't be the PGA Tour commissioner and circle back and keep everyone in the dark. That's cowardice. Because Monaghan knew the reaction would be what it was. And that's pathetic. Uh, Rory's perspective, listen, he's outspoken. So most of the things Rory has said I agree with. There are other things, you know, hammering certain guys, wanting them to walk down the plank and do penance. We're all adults here. Should they just be welcome back? No. But to reapply, that's fine. But I'll tell you this. Say that word reapply for reinstatement is key. Because what's not to say Monaghan just doesn't turn around and say Brooks Capital wants to come back to the PJ Tour? Okay, you're back. Well, did he reapply? You be- if you're going to say they're going to have to reapply, you better stick to that. Because nobody has a hotter seat in sports right now than Jay Monaghan. And the way he's handled this has been a joke. I'm not a big Greg Norman guy. I, I know that Tiger Woods, we all know who's been watching this, is not a big Greg Norman guy. He wants him out of live anyway. So now you'll have bankrolled here by the Saudis, operationally controlled by the PGA Tour with assistance from the DP. This is going to get interesting. And I'll tell you that that, that second season on the Netflix special is going to be freaking wild. But this is just collectively not a good look. Will it ultimately be better for the game of golf is the question that we should all be focusing on. In the immediate future? No. This is going to be a disaster. Because all the players in the RBC this week, Rory's out there, Rose is out there, Connors is out there, is all going to be focused around this. Now they'll have to put that in the back of the brain and focus on golf. But it's going to be out there. And you're going to get jerks in the crowd who are making snide comments, screaming them out in somebody's backswing. It's everywhere. It was handled poorly. Monaghan's got to take one on the chin here. Because he, you're going to merge? That's fine. Get your group together. Get your guys who stayed on that tour. Bring them in a room like you did for the players meeting after the fact. And talk to them. This is what we're thinking. This is what might happen. Give us your opinions. Maybe we can work together where somehow, even if we don't all like it, even if it's not the easiest pill to swallow, we can come to some kind of agreement internally amongst ourselves here at the PGA Tour. And it didn't happen. You had your own guys, McElroy, Rose, Morikawa, Woods, Woods, that Woods, Tiger Woods, finding out via social media, or I think CNN was one of the first to to report it. Disgraceful. That's the issue I take with it. And that's a problem. And it's one that needs to be cleaned up. And it's going to take Monaghan a while to do this, if he's ever able to do it, because because he comes across as a serious hypocrite. And the emotions of those people who are so against this money from the 9-11 aspect, 
that can't be dismissed either. So he's pissed off a bunch of different people in a bunch of different pools. It's not good. And it's uncomfortable. And we've got majors coming up this season. We've got the 2024 Ryder Cup, which is going to be at Bethpage in New York. Oh, my God. I, think about that crowd in Bethpage, New York, with all of this going on. It is it, it, it's unbelievable. You can't, I can't even put into words what that crowd is like if you've never been to a professional golf event at Bethpage Black with, a, with drinking New Yorkers. Fun, but this could be vitriolic. So we'll see how this continues to unfold because right now, this is not for the betterment of the game. This is not benefiting the game of golf. This is greed, piggybacking greed. Greed welcoming greed. Greed supporting greed. Greed internalizing even more greed. And that's the bottom line. These guys can say whatever they want. This is the bottom line in all of this. And it's shameful. And it's shameful because the game of golf is not number one. And quite honestly, that doesn't make me mad. It makes me sad. You know, I'm going to play this weekend. And I'm going to be playing golf Sunday because I love the game. Because I want to play golf with my friends. And yes, I want to be competitive. It's a tournament. It's a low-end tournament, but I still want to win it. But there's a passion for that game. Now, I think some of these guys, including commissioners, including Greg Norman, have forgotten that. It's great to get paid. You should get paid for your service. But not at the detriment of doing what is right. And they have right to do by people, both internally and externally, and for the game of golf, which impacts so many young kids. That shouldn't be forgotten. start wrapping up i just want to give you a final point for the world of sports you know it uh if you're following the scene from earlier in the week university of notre dame athletic director Max Corbrick, who served in that role since 2008 he's announced uh this week that he's going to step down the, from the position in 2024 that's big news this is something that has been has been rumored for a while many believe it's part of the reason brian kelly uh went down to bayou and lsu um brian kelly had 90 million other reasons He's a 93 alum of the university. He's a walk-on hunter of Blue Holt. He's going to replace Corbett as AD. Why is that good for Notre Dame? Well, Notre Dame and NBC have contract. It's going to be right. Vok was an, an alum. So he's getting internalized there. He's young. He's got the motivation. He's going to work with a new basketball coach in Micah Shrewsbury, who was a home run hire for ND, who's pretty much already revamped that, that roster with three, four, five, three, four-star recruits, and then transfers. Your Swarbrick, I, I, as an NDer, I've probably been harder on him than was fair. Um, you know, Jack was a big reason why the college football playoff is going to make the move from 4 to 12 in 24, which is huge. Um, and he, he, he oversaw from 08 to now you know, a Notre Dame football program that, yeah, eight, nine wins, that's great. But you watch Notre Dame football the last couple years, you know, minus a couple of brain farts last year, the program's been at the top. You know, Notre Dame football's been pretty damn good the last six, seven years. Jack had a lot to do with that. I wasn't a big BK fan, but you got to give credit where it's due. 
Um, you know, four national championships under Swarbrick's uh, tenure, including uh, this past one, but with the men's lacrosse team. Um, you know, I, I, a complicated legacy there, but the rebuilding of that campus centering around Notre Dame Stadium to put academic buildings in there as well. Extra room, the turf, the video monitor, the replay monitor, basically bringing that stadium, you know, in, into into today's era uh, are, are all positives for Swarbrick, uh, who will step down from the Notre Dame athletic director role uh, effective in 2024. Uh President John Jenkins of the university expects Bavakwa to uh, take over full-time as the sports director, as the athletic director at ND uh, sometime in that first term uh, in 2024. Uh, everyone that reached out via call, social media, another great show, appreciate it. Started a little earlier um, today, but looks like we're going to be tracking the Friday nights live at 7 o'clock on the East moving forward. So many changes recently. I'm coaching my school's baseball team the year in school. Uh, the school year's coming to an end. Traveling, my daughter's getting big. You, I want to be there for her, so I apologize uh, for those scheduling changes, but uh, I'll try to keep it as consistent as I can moving forward. You can always listen on Tape Delay, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeart, and Samsung Sports Today with Peter J. Subscribe on all of those platforms and on social media. I'll see you all again next Friday, June 16th at 7 p.m. Unless we have a baseball game, then I'll make the change. On that note, have a great weekend. Enjoy the NBA Finals, NHL Stanley Cup Final, a little golf. Congratulations to the Oklahoma women's softball team. Another national championship, a record-setting season capped off last night with a Game 2 victory over Florida State. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again real soon. Sports Today with Peter J.